One of the first things that we'll learn about peace is if we try to force it, we'll never have it. In fact, trying to force peace only increases the agitation and anxiety in our souls whenever we try to do that. However, as we submit ourselves to the scripture, we see that there are things that we can do to kind of put ourselves in the way of peace. And so we want to talk about this morning. Now, I will admit my hypocrisy in preaching this sermon this morning. Uh, My hypocrisy is so great that I considered changing it at the last second. Because this has been a week in which I have suffered from insomnia for four nights in a row. And, to be, and so I'm just being open and honest to say those weren't um, part of that insomnia is something I've been honest and told you that I've str- I struggle with. In particular, though, I know that some of that, in, that insomnia is me dealing with my anxiety in a way that is not first and foremost Christ-centered. And so, in some ways, it feels a little weird to talk about this. But then, on the other hand, uh, I am a fellow struggler and traveler just like you all. So, as I preach, you can rest assured that I am listening to that handsome guy on that monitor in the back speaking to me as this handsome guy speaks to you. So, so, so we'll kind of we'll walk, walk through this journey together. So, we're talking about peace this morning. We're going to look at Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. It's a very uh, familiar uh, text. It's also, if you've been here for any length of time, you know it's a text that is one of those texts that I tend to return to quite a bit because I actually think that the instruction and the way that the the truth of this verse is articulated is really uh, powerful and very, very practical. So let's take a look at this verse, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. You probably have a t-shirt, a sign, or a coffee mug with this verse imprinted on it. And uh, so we'll start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let's take a few moments and let's walk through this text, because what we see here in this little text is there are four choices that we are called to make There is one attitude that we are called to cultivate, and there is one glorious outcome that we are invited to experience. We cannot control the production of the outcome. That's God's part. However, what we have been given the gift to be able to do is we have been empowered to make these choices. So there's four choices, there's one attitude, and there's one outcome. And those, what are those choices? Those choices are joy, graciousness, trust, and prayer. He lists, he lists them here. Let's take a look at them. He says that we are called to rejoice in the Lord, to share the graciousness of the Spirit that is evidence of God's presence. That we are called to not worry. That's in the negative. Proactively, we would say we're called to not worry. Rather, we are called to proactively exercise trust. And finally, we are called to present our requests to God. So those are the four, the four choices. Uh, uh, joy, graciousness, trust, and prayer. And then we're called that as we engage and, and as we make these choices, particularly as we obey the call to draw near to God in prayer, we are called to cultivate a particular 
attitude in prayer, and that attitude is a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude. I split it up because it seems kind of cheesy to say attitude of gratitude, but I guess it's easy to remember, so check with your spouse tomorrow morning. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? I bet they'll love it first thing in the morning when the alarm goes off. Uh, They'll bless you for it. Trust me on this and just tell them. Uh, (laughs) um, And then it says that if we respond to the scripture, if we respond to the call of the spirit and we make the four choices, the four choices of joy, graciousness, trust, and prayer, and if we make the choice to cultivate this attitude of active thanksgiving, then the text says there will be a result there will be an outcome. And the outcome of submitting to the call to make those choices and to cultivate that attitude is you will experience peace. But now there's a caveat to the peace that we experience. And sometimes evangelicals don't do a great job about this because we are drawn to religion in general in the hopes that it will answer the larger questions about life. And in fact, Christianity does have answers for the larger questions about life, but it is never the intent of Christianity to so thoroughly answer our questions that we are robbed of mystery. In fact, I would submit that a true biblical faith actually, even though you may be comforted in your questions, it actually pushes you more into the mystery. And this is a great gift. Because as we press into the mystery, we get to live out of a sense of wonder and awe, just like a child's pleasure in discovering the new wonders and miracles of this life. So the kind of peace that you will experience is the peace that surpasses all what? Understanding. See, that's the mistake. The promise is not that you will understand. The promise is not that all your questions will be answered in such a way that you no longer emotionally struggle with the question itself or the answer. That's not the promise. What the promise is, is in the midst of that mystery and in the midst of those questions, in the midst of that chaos, if we will make those four choices and cultivate that attitude, then we will experience a peace that goes beyond our understanding. In fact, If I wanted to say it clever and cheesy, I would say this. It's a peace that goes beyond answers because it leads us to the answer. It is a peace that moves beyond answers because it leads us into the presence of the answer. And that's God's great gift to us. So let's take a moment and let's look a little closer at these choices, attitudes, and results. First of all, he says very simply, uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord. So, so what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, if you do a little bit of time with the Google, uh, which I do because, as I admitted, uh, there were some classes in Bible school I really loved. Uh, original language classes, were, they were not some of them. Uh, but I learned enough to use the Google. So if you lose the Google, you'll see that this word for rejoice is the word caro. And it comes from the root for from a root uh, the root word car, and that simply means favorably disposed and leaning towards, favorably disposed and leaning towards. 
And the truth of the matter is this. Joy is a result of where my soul leans. Again, joy is one of those things that if you make it the goal, it becomes elusive. Joy and peace are those things that sneak up behind you and tap you on the shoulder because you've cultivated a rhythm of life where you've placed yourself in their pathway. And joy is one of those because we can't control, we can't lie about the feelings that we have, the emotions that we have. We can't lie about the inner disposition of our soul, but what we can do is make the choice to cultivate a rhythm of life that empowers us to let our soul lean toward Jesus, who is the true source of a lasting joy. That's why he says rejoice in the Lord, rather than the places where we are tempted to allow our soul to lean, which are temporarily and bitterly disappointing most of the time. And the longer you live, the more disappointment you experience. Sorry, those of you who are in your 20s. That's Merry Christmas. Uh, you get the gift of realism this morning. And so, and so, 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 so we recognize that, 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 that we can't manufacture joy, but we can pursue a rhythm of life that allows my soul to lean. I can choose in which direction my soul will lean. And this makes a powerful difference in the day-to-day -day execution of our lives. So for example, if my soul leans toward becoming a whole person because of the way the Holy Spirit has brought me into places of maturity and healing, if that's where my soul leans, and if my soul leans in that vision to long for that, say, for my spouse, my partner as well, then every circumstance that we encounter doesn't disrupt that pursuit. When things are going well, we are pressed into wholeness and maturity. And when things are going terrible, we are pressed into wholeness and maturity. If, however, my soul leans toward just having a nice, happy marriage, well, then all that I can really adequately process are all the positives that are flowing into that relationship. Why? Because all those negatives disrupt my pursuit of happiness. One of the biggest challenges that they don't tell you, and if you're single or, or you're in the season of family planning, just don't listen to me for a minute because I don't want to discourage you. But one of the things they don't tell you as a follower of Jesus, that the purpose of getting married and having children is to have more people that will empower you to devastatingly lose your own kingdom. They don't usually work to building your kingdom because, you're, because somewhere in your silly little heart at church camp or youth group, you said, Lord, I just want whatever you want for me. And then as you got older, you might, can I change that request? I just want you to make me happy. That's what I want. And then you have to encounter the crisis that happens when you're like, ah, I did all the things I thought I needed to do to maintain a safe and happy life, and you haven't kept up your end of the bargain. And then you come to the epiphany that was never the bargain in the first place. This wasn't a thing for you to be co-gods together. There is this idea of surrendering and yielding that's attached to growing in my mature devotion to Jesus. And so, and so my point is, but if happiness is my goal and building my kingdom is my goal, well, then that creates turmoil in my home because I can't serve my family. I have to control their behavior. 
and you can't do both. So if my obsession is on controlling their behavior so there's peace in my kingdom, my soul's leaning in the wrong place and there's not gonna be much joy there. And in fact, what I learned on the days that I was most happy that everyone was aligning with my kingdom, most of them were miserable. So it's not a shared joy that we can all enter into. However, if we see ourselves as a little microcosm of kingdom community, where we have the privilege, husband, wife, son, daughter, we have the privilege of walking together and supporting one another as we press into the mystery of who God is and as he equips us to present our gifts to the world in such a way that it will serve toward the end of his redemptive purpose, then good days or bad days, whether we are frustrated with one another or we're weeping together or we're laughing together, joy can still be the characteristic of my home because my soul is leaning toward the larger thing that God is doing rather than the temporary thing that I think I need for my convenience. So I can't force that piece, but what I can do is evaluate my life and now that we have this fantastic prayer series and we're experts of the prayer of examine, then I can engage in the prayer of examine and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in my heart to make those changes that he wants me to make so that I can establish a culture of joy in my home and in my workplace and in my community. And so we learn to become mindful of where our soul is leaning and we get to make that choice, which means every cause to celebrate can press you into Jesus and every cause to be angry can press you into Jesus and every cause to be depressed can press you into Jesus. He literally, as the scripture says, works all things together for the, our benefit of being conformed to the image of Jesus. And we might not like our circumstances, and I'm not saying that we, you have to stay in your circumstance. Like maybe, maybe God's calling you to a different job or, or whatever, but what I am saying is I've come to yield to the truth that everything in my life right now, everything from the things that I'm satisfied with to the things I'm frustrated with, with my circumstance, with other people, or with myself, Everything in this moment is per perfectly calibrated to Artie Favre's experience of being pressed more deeply in the beauty of intimacy with Jesus. And so that is what we cultivate to allow our soul to lean in that direction. And if you do, nothing will ever hinder your intent. If peace and convenience is where my soul leans, multiple things <laughs> interrupt the, the, that, that goal. But if it leans toward Jesus, nothing in my life can disrupt that intent because even on the worst day of my life, Jesus still became God in the flesh and has chosen to dwell in my heart and to take me through to the place where he wants me to be because he who began the good work in me is going to be absolutely 100% faithful to complete that work. So, so we choose where we lean, allow our soul to lean, and that's where we find our joy. Then, then secondly, he says, let your graciousness, 
Did I just add a syllable to that? <laughs> I add syllables to one-syllable words all the time because I'm from southern Oklahoma. I don't always do it to, to uh, however many syllables this has. I don't want to say it and get it wrong and then look foolish. Uh, graciousness. Oh, three. I added four. Anyway, let your graciousness be known. The Lord is near. Now, this is such a beautiful verse to me. I'd love to go back and meditate on this verse because every time I do, I'm reminded that I, you, all of us in this room, we are carriers of the graciousness of God all the time. We are carriers of the presence and graciousness of God 24-7. Now, I don't always do an adequate job of that, and sometimes I downright fail at it. However, my inadequacy and my failure doesn't change the reality that there is Christ in me, the hope of glory. I am at all times and in all places a carrier of the presence of God wherever I go and in whatever I do. And so we are empowered to actually bring the graciousness of God to bear in any circumstance, conversation, or relationship in which we are engaged. At all times, we have the choice as to whether or not we will choose to let the graciousness of God that, is, that we carry be known to those around us. And here's the thing. What we want to do is to allow the rhythm of our life to project that graciousness so consistently that whenever we are with anyone, whether they understand it or not, there's something in their soul that reminds them the Lord is near. Yes, he was, because I brought him with me when I came. Now, you did too, but you may not understand that yet, but, uh, uh, because you're held together in Christ. But this is, this is what something in your heart is bearing witness to, that the Lord is near. And so, so we bring the grace of God to bear anywhere we go. Now, you see what this means. Now, this is a real challenge for me. I don't do this great. Hopefully, it's a little better than it was three years ago. But what this means, if we are carriers of the graciousness of God wherever we go, it means that we do not have to live under the tyranny of our moods. And that is a shocking revelation for contemporary Americans. We don't have to live according to the tyranny of our moods. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a bad day. I'm not saying you can't have bad moods. I'm not saying you can't have bad emotions and feelings and thoughts that you need to process before God and with someone else. All, the, all I'm saying is we can actually choose to live contrary to the mood that we carry around in our brains and in our heart. We can actually rise above that and instead of emoting the negative atmosphere that we're carrying in our hearts out here, we can switch that over. And we can say, no, I'm gonna make the choice to lean into the graciousness wherever I go. So one of the things that I've been more mindful of in myself and then just observing it in other people uh, that, that I find fascinating is to tune into the fact that you carry an atmosphere with you all the time. Whether you are sleeping or awake, or you're in the middle of the night with insomnia, or you're walking in greeting people as they come into church, or you're walking in Monday morning to work, you always carry an atmosphere. The question is this, how conscious are you of the atmosphere that you're bringing? 
How aware are you of the atmosphere that you're bringing? Because make no mistake, it's not an option. You are always carrying an atmosphere with you wherever you go and in every conversation in which you engage. The question is not if, but what? Are you aware of the atmosphere that you are bringing into circumstances and conversations? Because if you realize that most of the time you don't bring a healthy, life-giving atmosphere with you into in talking with your, your partner or talking with your children or in the way you engage with people through the day-to-day, well, then that's wonderful news. Because if you can recognize that, then you can recognize that the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to live at a place that's a little higher than where you've been living. And so what we recognize is this, we can't discipline ourselves to bring the proper atmosphere. We have to pursue a rhythm of life that allows that to authentically be cultivated right here. So that yes, I may be having a bad day. Yes, I may be cranky because of the speeding ticket that I just got while members of the church families walked by and saw me with the pulled over by the officer and that may ruin my day. Yes, that happened very soon and I'm still not over it. Um, and I was on the way to church too, but anyway. Uh, uh, but at the same time, in all those circumstances, the beauty of the gift of this life of faith is there can be another reality simultaneously. And that reality is that my heart is grounded in the presence and the peace and the graciousness of Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I don't have to be tyrannized by this. In fact, I almost think of it as my moods happen up here, but my stability comes from right here. So that means regardless of whether or not this is disciplined in any given moment, I still have the gift of being able to live from this and not this. And so I don't have to be tyrannized. It means I can be conscious of the presence that you are bringing, that, that I'm bringing into bear in any situation. Um, so the question then becomes, what atmosphere are you bringing in? What impact do you have when you come home at the end of your day? What impact do you have on the people that have to share your morning routine? What atmosphere and impact are you bringing when you arrive at work or when you arrive at a, at a circumstance that is uh, uh, characterized by conflict and confrontation? What is the atmosphere that you are bringing that you are carrying with you? What atmosphere, and if you, and if you look, ask that question and you realize, man, that's not, I don't think that's what God has for me. Well, then you begin to ask yourselves, okay, what atmosphere do you need to cultivate in order to be present? We are called to make God's presence evident by the graciousness that we make known. This, is that not what he says? Look back at our verse. Verse five, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So we have the privilege of making God's presence evident by the graciousness that we make known. This is how we change the world. This is how we participate in the salvation of the world. How long 
until the believers of this generation recognize that adding to the noise will never change anyone. Engaging in the same spirit of separation and judgment and anger won't change the world. It's when you show up and you say to yourself, I am angry and I do believe that this beautiful person made in the image of God has idiotic political opinions. Not only are they idiotic, they're offensive to me. Okay, I can let all that roll around in my head and say, Lord, clearly we need to have a conversation, but I don't have to act from that. What I can choose to do is to allow my graciousness to come to bear. And as I do, that is how I contribute to the salvation and the redemption of the world that God is bringing to those around me. The story we live will change the world. My arguments never will. My arguments just create more entrenched enemies. But the story that I live cannot be debated. The greatest proof of the existence of God is a man or woman fully alive in his grace. That points to something larger than us. And we can make the choice to learn to emphasize a rhythm of life that allows us to incarnate the story of the gospel just like the model of our Lord and Savior. So we enter into it and we live that better story. Then he goes on to say, okay, rejoice always. Let your graciousness be known. Don't worry about anything. And, and these are kind of stuck together. It's don't worry about anything, but present your request to God. Don't worry about anything, present your request to God. You see, those two, are con those two are connected. It's almost as if Paul is saying, yeah, it's not enough to tell you not to worry. Because we've all tried to just put on don't worry, be happy, and let our anxieties rush away. And, uh, and that doesn't work. What Paul says, no, it's not enough to tell them to not be happy, worry. I have to tell you what you have to do instead of worry, which is present your request to God. That's why if you're here and you're uncertain about how to pray, well, well you could go back and listen to the How to Pray series that we did for nine weeks, and you will be immensely blessed. Your life will be changed forever. If you rub your wallet on the screen while I'm preaching, you'll, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> where was I? I distracted myself. Oh, yeah. So, he says, don't worry about anything, but present your requests of God. In other words, what this means is that our anxieties can be the stuff of a powerful prayer life. That's why those of you who are discouraged because you have anxiety issues or anxiety dis disorders, congratulations. You can quickly qualify to be the most spiritual among us if you will allow those anxieties to move you into a place of prayer before God and intimacy. So there are two words that are, that are used. Uh, I think that this verse says, um, if you look at verse six, it says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, look, through prayer and petition, prayer and petition. Some of you might have prayer and supplication, depending on what translation you read from, but it is interesting that Paul does use two different words for prayer in this verse. And, and what I find fascinating about these two different words is the word that he uses for prayer simply has to do with more of a desire or a longing. And in fact, if you go to the lexicon and read it after you did the Google on this word, uh, you will see that literally one of the definitions simply says it's a prayer wish. 
a prayer wish. You see, it's like this invitation to bring our hopes and aspirations into the presence of God. What do you long for for your life? What do you long for for your marriage? What do you long for for your children? What do you long for in your vocational responsibilities? What do you long for and do you make that a point of conversation as you press into intimacy with Jesus? That's what we're invited to do. We give our longings. And here's the thing. Number one, those longings don't have to be legitimate. This is the, the most challenging part to an authentic spiritual life is that we edit our conversations with God. Stop editing. Bring the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is the only way we will connect in real authentic intimacy. So maybe these longings that I'm voicing aren't legitimate. They aren't things that need to be prayers that get answered. However, I won't move past them unless I vocalize them before the Lord. I don't know if, I really don't know if this is my ambition for the greater glory of God or the ambition for the greater glory of Artie. I really, I don't know, Lord. I don't know that motive in my heart, but this is what I'm desiring. And then you allow the Spirit then to speak from within your conscience and in your heart where Christ dwells in you as the hope of glory and you listen. And you allow the Holy Spirit to, if need be, redirect those desires. Or maybe, to your surprise, those desires are to be affirmed and cultivated. But whatever it is, your God is more able to lead you than your enemy can deceive you. And it's, it's high time evangelicals stop putting so much faith in the power of Satan and return to trust in our sovereign God who rules over all and is never thwarted or disappointed or shocked by anything that anyone or any metaphysical creature who's malevolent may choose to do. That doesn't bother him. And so, 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 so we, we, we press into... Um, we press... Uh, we, we, we press into being reconciled to our desires and wishes. Now, the other one, petitions, that is, you've come up, taking your last breath, and you know now you are going down for the count unless someone throws you a life preserver. And you're like, please help! That's the word for the next word. It is those desperate cries from your heart. So you see the difference in those and that invitation? One is the, the processing of our inner lives and our longings and desires. The other one is just like, this is it. I am desperate and I need help. And if you don't intervene, I don't know what I'm going to do. But Paul says, cultivating a rhythm of life where you feel comfortable with those kinds of conversations with God, that is the way you put yourself in the place to receive his peace. Or to not, not to receive it, but to experience that peace of God that passes all understandings. And so we bring both our prayers and our petitions before God. And then finally, after those four choices, he said there's an attitude that needs to be cultivated. He says to present your request to God through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And again, I'm going to pause. I mean, I'm not going to dive too deeply into this because we've done entire sermons about, you know, how, how might we cultivate gratitude. And maybe that's a great conversation for us to have, but the time won't allow us to go that far this morning. But what we learn to do is we recognize at the end of our prayer, whether they are processing our longings as prayer or they are supplications and petitions that come from desperate need, is that we don't leave that place of prayer, that conversation, without saying, taking a deep breath, and saying thank you. Thank you. I am not alone here in this moment. 
I've been heard. I may not understand all the responses that you choose to give in response to my prayer, but I know that you love me. I know that I can trust you and that in your wisdom, you know exactly what I need before I even make the request. And so then I cultivate that thanksgiving. We, you could do, probably what we should all do, and this will make us seem like a cult, okay? So I'm just, but probably deep down, we've all wanted to experience what it was like to be in a cult anyway. <laughs> Listen, if you just caught that clip online, please go back to the context. <laughs> It's funner as a participant, but more money as a leader. Is that what they say? No, we don't want to start a cult. But this will make us seem cult-like because it's a little weird. But start saying thank you all the time throughout your days. At some point, the people in your home should hear thank you at least every 48 hours. Start saying thank you. I was in a prayer time this week and uh, we took a time where we went outside and we were journaling and praying and I was sitting out by myself near this great big pond at Harry and Renee's house. And I don't know if you've been to Harry and Renee's house, but uh, they think they have a dog as a pet. It's actually a horse, but we don't want to let them know that because they really love this dog. They have this enormous dog with this big you know, cement block of a head. He's just beautiful and magnificent, a great Dane. And I love big dogs anyway, but I'm sitting there, I was praying. And this dog came and found me on the property and walked up and just set his head on my lap. And in that moment, I just immediately, the first thing that came to my mind is I reached down and pet the dog. The first thing out of my mouth was, I am grateful that you're here. Now, I didn't think about that, but it startled me when I said it. And I realized and this really feels good. Instead of just a dog being pet, I had this little encounter with the graciousness of God that I was able to acknowledge the Lord is present over every details, even if it's that the only thing kind to me is a dog out by a pond that day. Although if you were around me that day, you were kind to me. I'm not meaning it personal. But, but, but I was moved that that came out of my mouth and I was so encouraged by that. Now, I don't know if he left feeling gratitude or feeling appreciated or not, but I'm pretty sure if I would do that with the people in my life, they probably would. And so I just, I paused right there because I thought, okay, this is my moment today. This is the Holy Spirit visiting me by sending me this dog over to my lap to remind me that God's kindnesses are overwhelmingly all around me at all times. And one of the keys to be able to enter into the joy of that is to simply acknowledgement through the giving of thanks. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. And then Paul goes on to say that if we do that, then the result will be a peace that surpasses understanding. Look at this. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word peace comes from a root word that means to join, to tie together into a whole. So what I want you to see here is that the peace that God promises is not just the peace of not feeling negative emotions. It's not just the peace of, you know, just putting on the flip-flops and just zenning out. 
It's more than that. I mean, if that's your thing, great, more power to you. I'm not condemning that. But I'm saying what this is about is not simply the absence of negative feelings, nor is it just the presence of calmness. It is experiencing the Holy Spirit making us whole. And as we become more healed, and as we become more whole, we just rest in the peace of God as a result. We don't have to manufacture it and pursue it. This is what God brings to, me, to us. So now we're getting ready to close. And I understand what it's like to listen to sermons. I really don't like to listen to sermons too much. I just like to, to preach them. <laughs> I mean, so I sympathize. I've, sometimes I've almost nodded off while I was preaching. So I understand some of you. But listen, but, but, but I really, I think this is the moment to me this morning. Until I allow God to bring me peace within myself, I cannot extend authentic peace to others. Until I allow God to cultivate peace within myself, I cannot extend authentic peace to others. This is why we talked last week about the difference between selfishness and a rhythm of self-care. Those are not the same things. It is simply an acknowledgement. The information we share with people doesn't change them. But the modeling of the transformation that we've experienced does. That has authority on it. But my first order of business is not to act peacefully but to do the hard work to creating the room in my soul for the Holy Spirit to actually bring wholeness and peace to who I am. And it's great because then you don't think about being a witness. You just are one. You don't have to strategize being a witness. You just live your life and that sweet aroma of the presence of God is picked up by those around you. It's a way better way of sharing our faith with others others but until i allow god to bring uh, me peace within myself i cannot extend authentic peace to others so if you're here and you have a worn out soul be encouraged because that's what god uses to invite us to yield and to trust and so Sometimes it takes us a brief amount of time to get worn out, and sometimes it takes us stubbornly years to get worn out. But I promise you, there's grace in that process because it's when I'm worn out that I'm willing to say, yes, Lord. And, and, and oftentimes it takes me getting to that place. But if I do, what we will recognize is that although there are many reasons for why we might be worn out by the chaos in our lives every single one of them can be the kindness of god beckoning us back to himself god will take us through a process of healing when we are ready and open to it but to say it another way we cannot serve god until we allow him to serve us we cannot serve god until we allow him to serve us. Because outside of that, you don't have an authoritative experience to bear witness to. It's just information that's passed through your ears from reading a book, listening to a podcast, or listening to a preacher. That's not enough. 
we are invited to enter into this experience. And until we yield and let God serve us and make us whole, we cannot adequately serve his purposes. Because what we will bring to bear is not the beauty of his reconciliation, but we will bring the agitation of our unwholeness to bear on the circumstance. That's why we have to be aware of the atmosphere we bring because when we are and we ask that question, Lord, this is the atmosphere I feel like I'm bringing to bear. Why? Just this morning, it was embarrassing. Somebody asked me a question, a benign question that shouldn't have any emotion to it and I should have just given a one-word answer. Instead, I went into this long narrative about it. And then once I got into it, I'm like, I really wish I hadn't started this. But, you know, it's kind of like with the argument with your spouse in that moment where you realize, oh, they may be right here. I might be wrong. But you sure can't admit that. You're like, oh, the tension of what do I do? So I said that. So I just stopped and said, apparently I have not made peace with this like I thought that I had. Uh, but, but it really was instructive for me because honestly, before I engaged in that conversation, if you would have asked me, I would have thought, of course I've made peace with that. That's not a big deal. It wasn't until I started listening to me, myself, and, and, and realizing, okay, this is not the atmosphere that I need to be bringing. Why am I bringing this? It's because as much as I want to be a 48-year-old masculine man that has the power to work on the Yellowstone Ranch with Kevin Costner, as much as I see that as myself, I'm a grown-up boy full of insecurities, and I still haven't let the Holy Spirit address and heal some basic wounds in my own soul. And the truth is, maybe you don't have to deal with that to work on the Yellowstone, but if you want to be in the service of your Lord, you got to face that brokenness because that's where he's letting his light into your soul and inviting you to let that light out of your soul. And so we pay attention, we listen, we respond because we recognize that we cannot serve God until we allow him to serve us. And the Holy Spirit will guide us in this journey toward holiness. But we have to relationally engage with the Spirit in order to listen. Now, the end result of that is this. If we will give ourselves to that process wholeheartedly, we will begin to understand a core truth about who we're called to be. Jesus tells us who the sons and daughters of God ought to be in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse nine says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. One of the reasons that's good to stay off of social media is how disappointing it can be when someone says something anti-Christ and hateful and then people that you admire, you notice click like to that thing. I don't know about you, don't you? Do you ever get discouraged by that? I, I do. And, uh, I'm sh and I know for a fact that I have discouraged others because they've come to me and, and, and confronted me on it before. And luckily we had a dialogue and talked, to, talked it out. But what frustrates me is that we think that we have the option to join in that hatefulness and we don't. It's not fitting for you, follower of Jesus. That action does not fit you. It's not becoming for you. 
to get pulled into the energy and the anger. Why? Because you are called to be a peacemaker. At all times, wherever you are and however you engage, your role is not mysterious or uncertain or confusing. Your role is to bring peace. You are peacemakers. That is why you are God's children, because you proactively bring an atmosphere of peace. You don't add to the chaos and the noise. And when we do, we repent and allow the Holy Spirit, and we don't just repent and try better next time. We repent and say, Holy Spirit, there's some brokenness in my soul that I realized was there by the way that anger just rose up in me like that. I've got some more soul work that I need to open myself up for you to do. Even though I've been a Christian since I was seven and I'm a vocational pastor, that eruption of emotion made me realize there's work in my soul to do. But you know what? If you allow the Spirit to heal you, then you don't have to discipline your behavior because your behavior becomes the fruit of the Spirit's work. And it's great because the bearing of fruit happens almost passively. It's just about whether or not the plant is in the right atmosphere. If the plant is in the right atmosphere, it will bear fruit. You don't have to white knuckle yourself to change your behavior. You just gotta plant yourself in the atmosphere to allow the Holy Spirit to cause that fruit to blossom. Way better than willpower. I assure you. And for me, it's more effective. So we are peacemakers. That's our vocation. We embrace God's peace. We proclaim God's peace and we extend God's peace. And the worship team is going to come up and we're going to get ready to have communion together. And as we do, uh, it's just kind of a time to end the service on the crescendo of being reminded that we are people of a